You guys doing okay today? Yeah, you look good. You look good. Hey, I'm going to invite you. Power on your Bible or turn to the one in your book rack to Proverbs chapter 8 as we continue a five-week teaching series called Verbs. It sounds cool, but all we're doing is studying the book of Proverbs together. And we kicked off on Wednesday, May 1st, the first of 31 days in Proverbs. Anybody know how many chapters there are in Proverbs? 31. Yeah, okay. So each day of the, the month of May, if you're like, what proverb are we on reading together as a church? It's the same day. So we, today's May 5th. We're on Proverbs 5 as you're studying it. But for our sake today, we're skipping ahead a little bit, and we're going to start in Proverbs chapter 8. Man, I've got to tell you, didn't Darren do a fantastic job last weekend kicking us off in Proverbs 1? Can we give him a hand? His ego needs that, so good job, Darren. Um, he uh, did an amazing job. I've heard him give a lot of sermons, but if you have not seen that one yet, get online and watch it. It really spoke to a lot of people in our church as he talked about kind of the three seats we put ourselves in according to Proverbs and receiving God's wisdom in our life. And maybe you were the naive person or you were the fool or you were the mocker. But I want to talk today, uh, take it a, a step further. If, if God has given us the book of Proverbs to know how to live wisely in our lives, why don't we do it? You know, because there's this amazing message. We all go, oh, man, that was so cool. Darren, that, he is just a great preacher. And then all of you instantly went home and started living wisely, right? Yeah, you took all the fatty, sugary foods out of your home, started working out, exercise, no more overeating, stopped smoking just like that. It was so easy. Just get all that. Some of you are like, I'm giving up Netflix. You didn't even watch the Game of Thrones finale because you were too busy working out eating kale. No? Did that not happen? So why is it that we struggle, like, listening to God's wisdom? And you can see this at an early age. Uh, my son, uh, Jet, I know I tell a lot of stories about him, but that's the season of life I am. I don't have any other stories. So he's four, he just turned four. He was real excited to go out riding his bike in the neighborhood because he's finally old enough. Yeah, come on now. Look at that Paw Patrol, baby. He's ready to go. And look at that grin. Doesn't he look like he's about to cause some problems? He is so excited. He is definitely missing a giant tooth there, too. It's not because he lost it. He just turned four. I mean, it is because he lost it, but not naturally. He, uh, one morning a couple of months ago, my wife calls me frantically. I'm about literally minutes away to go preach. And Jet, you know, he, he had gotten into the Christmas wrapping paper leftovers, and he had taken the long tube that the paper is wrapped around, and like any kid, he started using it as a sword and stuff, and he's fighting everything, and then he got in trouble for that. So then he started putting it on his arm, and you know, it's long for a four-year-old, and so he starts walking around like he's got a cane, <laughs> using it like, you know, as a crutch or a leg or something. And, and Lisa told him, don't be doing that. And then he started getting on the stairs and fooling around on the stairs with it. And then, of course, mom's like, cut it out, Jet. You're going to get hurt. Stop it. And he thought it was funny. So he went all the way to the top of the stairs in that moment and decided rather than taking a step off of the first stair, and there's about 20 steps, by the way, he decided to use the, the long uh, rod there as, as his leg, essentially, and he put all of his weight on it. You see where this is going, right? And it, it, the, the beautiful thing, we can look out back on it now, but it was not funny at all in the moment. 
But like this was a pretty incredible feat, actually. What happened was it bent naturally, and so then he went forward with his weight, and he's kind of top heavy to begin with. So then, like the momentum of it flung him off the top step, where he now did about three somersaults all the way down the steps. And then instead of landing softly on his bottom at the, the it, it, he went face first, whap, tooth right into the hardwood. Lost the tooth, blood going everywhere. It's like frantic. Everybody's in a panic. He's traumatized for life now. Lots of counseling going to need to be happening. <laughs> See, and, and it, I, I know we know, had, had a three-year-old just listened to the wisdom of his mom, he could have avoided all that pain and trauma. But it's not just three-year-olds that struggle receiving wisdom and correction in our life, is it? Man, I'm going to be really frank with you. The preparation for this sermon was difficult for me because I'm really convicted. This is one I personally struggle with, and I guarantee there is not a human being alive that doesn't. See, the problem with living wisely is we often don't listen to correction. In other words, especially the fool that we discussed last week, we know what to do and we don't do it. Why? Well, we don't want to be corrected. We talk a lot in here in the New Testament about the, that Jesus in John 1, 14 and 17 came to bring both grace and truth. And if all you have is truth spoken into your life, then we just have this kind of call-out culture and there's no grace of, of Christ around. And if all we have is grace and compassion, then we miss out on the truth and we just kind of have a hangout culture where no one is really being transformed. We want to create a call-in culture in which the love of Christ compels us to live differently both in his grace and his truth. Was that a lot too much at the beginning of a sermon? And unfortunately, what happens when it comes to living that type of love-filled life is that we like one over the other. And most people love to receive the grace and compassion of Jesus and do not like receiving the correction and truth of him. And Darren said last week, how's that working out for us as a society? A lot of angry, hate-filled people, depressed. Things aren't going, even though the economy is amazing, things aren't necessarily better or worse in our lives. Like, each of us in the room have our own struggles, and I believe at the heart of all of that, God tells us, I want to help you. I want to prevent all that pain and suffering and trauma if you just listen to my wisdom. And so that's what we're going to do together. It's really simple. You ready to study God's word, church? Well, yeah, okay. <laughs> After that whole thing. Well, if you're going to talk about grace, yes, tell me more. Proverbs 8, look at this. Look, look what it says here. It, it uses, in the book of Proverbs, a little background. Uh, King Solomon and some of the wise men were, uh, this is attributed to them as they talk about uh, wisdom in, they, in chapters 1 through 9. It's the personification of wisdom as a woman, because we all know women are the wisest ones. Amen, right? And so in this passage, it's using that to display the wisdom of God. And it's, so it says this in verse 1. Do not wisdom... Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand beside the gate leading into the city. At the entrance, she cries aloud, To you, O people, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. You, you who are simple gain prudence. 
You who are foolish, set your hearts on it. Listen, for I have a trustworthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true. For my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just none of them is crooked or perverse. To this discerning, all of them are right. They are upright to those who have found knowledge. Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. It uses the wisdom of God here in the person of a woman who is standing at the city gates, so you have to pass by. She's crying out, I'm here. Understand and hear and listen to me, it says. Get clarity, listen. And then ultimately, you should value the wisdom of God more than gold or silver or rubies because it's the solution to help us prevent some of the pain and suffering in our lives. And if we really believed that, we would stop holding God at a distance. See, the heart of this, if you forget everything else, we're going to talk eventually today about why we don't do this, and a large part of it's pride. And the solution to pride in our culture is this question. Will you have the humility, if you're taking notes, will you have the humility to receive wisdom in your life? That's the big question. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you. Um, all these people came out. We had to add some chairs into this service because they want to hear from you. And we begin, some have come and joined us today, and they are brand new. And they may not even be a Christian. They may be atheists or agnostic. Thank you for the courage they had to join us today. We started this church for people just like that. God, we say it every week. We desire to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. I pray that you may get rid of my words this morning and what you have to share with somebody in their soul would be spoken directly to them. They couldn't deny it. We acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit here and we ask you to speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You know, it's not just three-year-olds that struggle with this whole wisdom thing. Adults do. I know some of you do because I've seen, I have counseled many people over the years and it's like, if you would just deal with that addictive habit in your life, you would stop having to come back time and time again with the pain and suffering that you have endured. With the relationship after relationship and the sexual temptations that you have struggled with time and time again, it's hard in our culture and society today, but if you were honest and vulnerable about it, had the humility to admit it, things could look differently. And it's really easy to apply this to other people in our lives. It's much harder to apply it to ourselves. My wife would be the first one to tell you, uh, you need to listen to this sermon today, Josh. <laughs> I don't know what it is about guys. The, this is like one of our big struggles is receiving wisdom and correction. But it's not just guys. It's everybody. She learned it really quickly, right? Like to give you an example, when we went to premarital counseling, I was like, oh, they have, I, I could do better than this. I know the right counselors. They're doing this wrong. When we went through Financial Peace University, she didn't know it going in, but she learned afterwards I could actually educate Dave Ramsey <laughs> on how to hire, uh, you know, better use his finances. That whole envelope system, so dated. Right? Like, this is what we do. Like, we, we want to receive the wisdom of God, but nobody really wants to be corrected to change our life. Like, I'm not going to actually change my dating habits, someone might say, because I, like, I'm fine. I don't want to mess with that. Nobody does that anyway. <laughs> this is 2019. We do what we want. 
Where's that getting us, right? In our marriages, I'm not going to seek out help. But my wife learned this very hard in the last couple of years even. Uh, you know, we had won that sabbatical grant from the Lilly Foundation. We got to do stuff we would never be able to do. We went on a three-month sabbatical church history tour from, like, down at the Vatican in Rome all the way up to Wittenberg, Germany on the 500-year anniversary of Martin Luther posting the Nine Theses. It was amazing experience. And along the way, you know, I usually don't share stuff like this because I don't normally get to do stuff like this. It's kind of like, the, look what I got to do. But I want to share my own failures because even when you think everything should be perfect in your life, we still struggle with this. See, we got to stop for about a day and a half in what's supposed to be the most rant, romantic place on earth, Venice, Italy, right? Like, how could you not have fun in Venice? Look, I've got this picture, selfie stick, really helped us out here, and it was a nice sunny day, and we were looking directly into the sun, and we're smiling, and we look like we're happy, and we were happy at that moment, but the day before, not so much, because I don't know if you know this, they don't have any cars in Venice, and so when you get off at the train, you guys know, right? We talked about this. Like, you get off at the train, the only way to get to your hotel is to pay for a water taxi. You have to hire a boat to get you there, and you're like, oh, that's no big deal, except it's 75 euros, which I'm not a math major. That's like a thousand U.S. dollars. It was just a lot of money. (laughs) There's no way I was going to do it. It could have been 12. I wasn't going to do it, and so I was like, Lisa, look, Google Maps, that's like less than half an inch. We could... Totally do this on hoof, man. We don't need, we don't need to pay. What's silly is, like, the, the, the grant money paid for it. I was still that cheap. And we have all of our luggage for three and a half weeks packed up, you know, dragging behind us. And she's like, okay, fine. You know best. So now if you had been there, which I had not, I didn't, it makes sense now to get, what are there a lot of there? There, there are bridges everywhere. The only way you get across the waterways is through bridges, and they all have like 9,000 stairs over every single one. So it was drizzling rain, but still hot and humid out. It was miserable. And here I am pulling this luggage behind me for 45 minutes, click, 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 click dragging it up the steps. And then I was getting angrier and angrier. And I didn't even care what people thought anymore. Down the steps, I'm like, how can I make this louder? Wham, 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 wham. (laughs) Lisa was so embarrassed, right? Like, it was miserable. Now, good news on the way back, I had a smiling wife because I just dropped the 75 euros and we took the taxi back and we were all happy and good, right? I think I even had a picture of that. But I I I encourage you. Yeah, I know she looked cute. (laughs) That's a happy wife there. And how silly it is, like... What is it? Why couldn't we just go, hey, everyone's telling you don't do this. (laughs) Don't be the fool in the middle seat last week. You know better, but let me tell you how I'm going to correct you. You're wrong. Our Heavenly Father has this great wisdom to share with us, to teach us how to live better, and we just reject it. And I think there's a reason why, and I'm going to move very quickly through this, but if you want to receive godly wisdom in your life, here's just three simple things, according to Proverbs 8, that you need to do. And I'm going to use that as kind of a launching pad to look at the New Testament and share what it says with us. And the first thing is this, if you want to receive wisdom, again, it's different than knowing wisdom and receiving wisdom are two different things. Receiving, it's the hard part. First, you need to get clarity. At verses 1 through 4, I won't reread it here, but verses 1 through 4, the, the wisdom, it says, is standing at the gate, calling out to you that you would understand her. 
God desires for you to understand his wisdom. Now, you may not know your specific calling, and that may be a process God is growing you through over the course of years or even decades. But you know your general calling to help, help those in need and to share your faith, the twofold mission that every believer is called to. We have God's word, that is his word for us even today. And Derek talked about this last week. Maybe you may be like, oh, but it's 21st century. Like, I don't know, apply to no, 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 his wisdom is still well beyond our own wisdom. And so seek clarity. Like if you go, man, my dating life is causing me problems, how does God teach me how to date and operate my, my romantic life? If you're struggling in your marriage, and every marriage does at times, you have to go, okay, well, what does God teach us of how to best do this and handle when we have disagreements, how to seek reconciliation rather than being right. You have to get clarity and understanding of what he says to us. It takes prayer. It takes reaching out to him. And he's calling out. He desires for you to receive his wisdom. Number two, if you're taking notes, I told you I'd move quickly. We're going to spend most of our time on number two. Here's the hard part. You can't just get clarity. You have to actually listen to it then. Look what verse five said. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, set your hearts on it. The fool doesn't do Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 that we didn't read, but lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. If you want your path straight, you have to listen to what he has to say to you to receive that it's one thing to hear it. It's another thing to receive it. Let me explain. Somebody tells you, you know, you keep having problems in your life because you're struggling with alcohol and you won't be honest and talk to anybody and you just continually say, I don't have a problem. You may have heard that, but you haven't listened to it. If you have that, you know, drugs has become an issue in your life and people are telling you, I know you think this isn't a problem, but it is. If you don't acknowledge it, you haven't really listened to it. If you keep going about, I don't have a problem with pride in my life. I'm good. Everybody else is wrong. You're not listening. You're just hearing. And these things matter. And again, even when I mention that, some of you go, man, I really wish so-and-so would hear this message. No, 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 you need to hear this message. I need to hear this message. We all struggle with this. We keep God at a distance. We must listen. It goes on to say in verse 6, listen, I have a tr for I have trustworthy things to say, God says. You, you can tell whether you truly trust that he knows better than you on whether you actually listen. If you hear him, one thing, but if you listen and change and course correct your life according to his word and what he has to share with you, then you really acknowledge that you truly believe him to be trustworthy, that he honestly knows better than you. He says, I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true. But when we, he speaks what is true, sometimes that means that corrects things, and that's the part that we don't like. For my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. Now, I'm going to imagine that for some of us, we, we struggle with trusting him to begin with. And we struggle with uh, really allowing him to have control of our life. And I want to give you some reasons maybe why that, that is. Why it is that when we hear, we don't listen and respond. And I think we can see it in the New Testament. See, that question, why don't we listen, I think can be found in 1 John chapter 
2, verses 15 to 17. If you're taking notes, it says this in verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. It often uses this analogy of this relationship with your heavenly Father, right? Like a father teaches a child that when my son receives correction, he could actually avoid some of the pain and suffering. And the same thing is true for you. He says, don't love what all the world is telling you because it's going to tell you to avoid me. Because if, if you're new to the Bible, it tells us that every day we wake up, we are in a spiritual battle. That God has a perfect plan for our life. And if we believe and receive his wisdom and grace and forgiveness and truth in our life, we could live differently and have purpose and meaning. I just talked to a guy after the last service that just went through a divorce, just got finalized, and talked about how he wished you know, he had done this earlier, but he really wants to just correct everything and, and begin to live more wisely in his life and surrender all of his life to God. It was amazing. And some of you may be in here and you're like, yeah, I haven't been listening to the wisdom of my heavenly father, but to the world. Uh, Verse 16, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those three things. We could have three new chairs up here this weekend. We didn't do it. But these three things are what often keeps us of why we don't listen and receive the correction of God, his wisdom in our life. I could go through them very quickly to give you an idea to help you understand these. The first two, you probably know well. It's what sells advertising. It's in our movies and TV. It's everywhere around us. Uh, the first one, we don't, I'm not going to show you a picture or anything, but it's the, the lust of the flesh. You know the lust of the flesh. That's the thing when you're standing there and you're working out in the gym and you see something out the corner of your eye and then you take a second or a third look, right? It's that... Temptation, the enemy loves to use that this, this thing, this, this beautiful thing, this lust of the flesh is what's going to give you meaning and purpose and make me feel better and finally feel like I get what I deserve and all of the things that we lie to ourselves about. It's the reason we buy products that they sell us all the time on TV and magazines. The lust of the flesh is very real and apparent. It's the thing that gets you to say, I know rather than dealing with the issues in your marriage, you just click on some things online and you can avoid the problems that you're you're having. It's real, isn't it? And let's not just pick on particular people. The the lust of the flesh goes uh, beyond just men. Women struggle with this often. Desiring certain things. If I just had this, I would often be happy. And it's not just the lust of the flesh, it's, it's the lust of the eyes. That tells you if you just had that home with the infinity pool, you would finally be happy. <laughs> you, know, you know what? Uh, when I went on that sabbatical that we mentioned, you know, we got this grant and the resources uh, provided for us to do those things. We got to do things we would never be able to do, including like go out to eat all the time. Like we usually don't have resources to do that. And so we got to live a little differently. You know what it taught me? It gave me so much more compassion for the many wealthy people in Hamilton County and in North Indianapolis. Because we think, if I just had that stuff, I'd finally be happy. And then what inevitably happens, when you get that, it doesn't make you any happier. In fact, it opens you up to new temptations. You are now susceptible to things that you no longer, or before, didn't have the resources to be tempted by. The lust of the eyes tells us, if we just had that car or that thing, if I buy it, I'll finally be happy. We go on a little retail vacation, and I'll finally be happy myself. And yet it doesn't make us happy. But the third and final one is the one I want to focus on the most. Maybe yours are the first two. But the pride of life. 
The pride of life tells you if you just achieve and you get that next career move and you finally have enough power or prestige, you will finally be fulfilled. You will achieve enough that now you have made it. The enemy loves to use pride. It tells us that you are in control of your destiny. If anybody gets in the way, they are wrong and you need to correct them. You never are open to receiving the wisdom of God and correction in your life. That's why C.S. Lewis wrote this. I, I love this quote. He says, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above. That if you have pride, you can't know God, it says. I don't believe he's telling you that you don't have salvation. You may be the mocker that is so proud that you won't receive the truth of Christ in your life because you have hurt and pain that you, you don't know what to do with. I don't know. But for most people, you may know Jesus and have eternal salvation, but pride prevents you from hearing from God and living according to his wisdom in your daily life. And C.S. Lewis tells us th- this is the biggest one. In a moment, I'll read another quote from Mere Christianity, and it's probably the most famous quote on this particular issue. Pride just owns so many of us. It tells us I don't need any help. You know, I mentioned my son, Jet, uh, just this literally happened this weekend. There's something about like young children that, especially boys, uh, guys, we're just born with this. We're a natural at pride. We're really good at it. And so he, he, you know, he was, he just turned four. So I thought he's four years old. We live in Indiana. Time to learn how to dribble a basketball. Amen. <laughs> and so I thought, man, I'm going to teach him. And I was like, Jet, let's go outside. I'm going to teach you how to dribble. He goes, no, I don't want to. I was like, why not? Your brother plays. Why? You want to learn how to play? He goes, I don't need to. I already know how. (laughs) Like His older brother used to do the same thing in not just sports, but everything, right? You don't need to teach me that, Dad. I already know how. I already got this all figured out. You just stay up there and let me do my thing. Don't be getting involved in messing up my stuff. Man, there is some wisdom there of how we live our lives. When God comes in and says, hey, my word tells you to live differently, surrender your sexual and intimate life to me, and you're like, oh, no, I already know how to do that area of my life. You stay out of here. You're going to come in and mess stuff up. I want to go to heaven and see my family when I die, but don't, I can do my own life. It's when, you know, I mentioned Dave Ramsey, right? Like, Scripture teaches us how to live wisely and steward our finances that, you know, we are called to be wise stewards because the king one day will return and the steward just is keeping the place until he comes back. So we're supposed to live wisely with that. And many of us are like, no, I, I want more of Jesus, but don't you come in and start messing with my finances because I know what, you're going to make me do stuff I don't want to do. And that's mine. I earned that. A little too much this weekend? See, the truth is, none of us like this course correction that God brings into our life when, when it says, hey, we're struggling in our marriage a little bit, and everybody does. Sometimes I feel like someone has one little argument, and all of a sudden they feel like their marriage is falling apart. But the truth is, if you know how to reconcile in your relationship, it takes you dulling down your pride and going, I don't have all this figured out. If you're like, I've been married three weeks, I already know how, don't tell me anything. Whew. I cannot tell you. How many people I have gone through months of premarital counseling with and either just straight up lied to my face or just were like, ah, we already got this all figured out. We read the books. We're good. And it's like, no, 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 no. 
the humility that it requires you to have to receive God's wisdom is to understand that you don't already have everything figured out. And you might need directions on how to get to Venice someday. Each of us needs that. Maybe you've been telling God, I already know how, but you're going to start saying, I don't know how. I want you to build my career with integrity. I want you to rekindle the lost love in my marriage. I want you to transform the addictive habits that I have developed. I want to surrender the lust of my eyes and the lust of my flesh over to you, and that pride will no longer reign king in my life. See, the third and final point is that you don't just get clarity and listen. You have to actually submit and surrender. Surrender to the wisdom of God, which that's the hardest part. Proverbs 8, 9, and 11 says, To the discerning, all of them are right. They are upright to those who have found knowledge. Choose my instruction instead of silver. Knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Nothing in this life, not all the riches and glory and prestige in the world, compares to having the wisdom of God in your life. Solomon had everything. Everything, all the wives, all the things, the, the, the glory, all of the prestige, all of the money and the resources, and the most valuable thing to him was godly wisdom. Because it's what helps you prevent the pain and the suffering in your life. It's what helps you become the per person of purpose that God created you to be. And we spend decades of our life missing out on what God wants for us because we're too busy looking down in our pride instead of looking up to receive wisdom from the one who can offer it. It's why C.S. Lewis says later in Mere Christianity, these famous lines, the vice I'm talking about as the worst of all vices is pride or self-conceit. And the virtue opposite to it in Christian morals is called humility. That the antidote to the pride of life is the humility of Christ in our life. He goes on to say it this way. According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride, unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that, that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. See, as we close out our time here, there's always a moment, I believe you may have grown up around Christianity, and you may know things about the Bible and about Jesus but there always is a moment of complete and utter surrender. Galatians 2.20, for I have died and no longer live. The life I live is through faith in the Son of God, Paul writes, that I've become a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And you may not be perfected this side of heaven. You may still be a broken, sinful person working out the kinks, learning to live more wisely in your life. But there must be a moment where you go, I have completely surrendered. And there's this beautiful word the Bible uses to describe that it's repent. To say, I don't have all of this figured out. I don't, and I'm not perfect, and I know I can't fix my relationships on my own, and I can't fix all of my problems on my own, but you're trustworthy and true. I'm gonna allow your course correction into my life. I'm gonna get clarity about what your wisdom is. I'm gonna listen to it, and I'm gonna surrender to it. And I remember when two decades ago, I first went through that, and it's been a continual battle for every year since. But I remember when that moment happened for the next couple of weeks after I really surrendered my life to Christ. I was living in a fraternity house doing the things that people there do. And as I surrendered that to him, I would find myself over the next couple of weeks just for no reason tearing up. 
And I am not an emotional guy. My wife will tell you that. And I would just tear up and tears would come streaming down my face because you realize when you did it your way, all the pain it not only caused you, but the people around you. It hurt my son when he fell down the steps, but it was even harder on his mom. And trying to do things your own way is going to affect your life, but it also affects the, those around you that truly love you and care for you. And so as we close out our time, if the antidote to pride is humility, to repent and say, I give you control, to have the humility to do that, Jesus set us the example for that. It tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 11, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ as Christ Jesus. And then I love these verses. you got to check this out. The verses that it says, this is how Christ Jesus lived his life. If you want to have godly wisdom, it says, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. It was his humility that allowed him to fulfill everything that his heavenly father called him to, his submission to that that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you want to experience the glory that we talked about Easter weekend, and we saw 56 people give their life to Christ and be transformed, many of them now getting into root and beginning to live differently, if that is you in the room, it only happens if you get humble enough. You're like, I'm the humblest person I know. I'm good. No, like, you, you need to get the type of humility that Jesus had, which was what... I give up my very life. I surrender control completely to your lordship. And even when I read in scripture something that does not line up with what I believe in my head, I'm going to correct it to what your word says rather than correcting your word to what I say. That's the difference between pride and humility. And so each of us in this room get to do this beautiful thing to say, God, I don't want control. I repent. (laughs) I do a 180. Take control. I'm yours. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we love you. We declare you Lord of our lives. I'm going to imagine there is at least one person or many people in the room here that probably have some things they need to repent of. And maybe it's for the first time to surrender everything. Or maybe it's you've been a Christian for decades and you know this, this particular thing, the lust of the flesh or the eyes or the pride of life is causing you to not receive wisdom. If that's you, I want you to pray this silently as I pray it out loud. God, I admit I'm not perfect. Forgive me for my wrongdoing. I do this beautiful thing. I repent. I relinquish complete control of my life. I surrender my will to yours. We love you, Jesus, and we praise you. It's in your name we pray and all God's family said, amen.